Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. She was one of the lead singers in the 80s girl band, Pajama Party. Welcome Daphne Rubin Vega. Hey everyone, my guest today is Daphne Rubin Vega, who is an award-winning actress, twice nominated for a Tony, Some of her films include Jacko's Boating, Sex in the City, Virgin, Justice, Skeleton Woman, Flawless, and Wild Things. On television, she's appeared in Smash, Law & Order, Web, and Hustling, which is an original web series. On Broadway, she starred in A Streetcar Named Desire, Les Mis, Anna in the Tropics, The Rocky Horror Show, and of course, the role that brought her tremendous fame, Mimi and Jonathan Larson's Rent. She has an extensive off-Broadway resume as well, including her one-woman show, Empanada Loca, and has singing engagements all over the world. She is a founding member of the Labyrinth Theatre Company here in New York City and has produced several solo albums. She's had songs on the Billboard charts with her 80s girl band, Pajama Party, Welcome, my dearest friend, Daphne Rubin-Vega. Hi, Ilana. I am so glad you are here. You were born in Panama, mm-hmm. and you came at a very young age. Yes. How old were you, and did you come straight to New York City when you got here? No, I just turned three. My mom left my dad, so she had three kids. She wanted to pursue a better life. You know, it's a typical immigrant story. And so she left my brothers with aunts and God parents in Panama. And I came to Washington, D.C. with my aunt and uncle. I actually came alone and met them here. And I stayed what was supposed to be three months turned into three years. And I went back to Panama with my aunt and uncle, only to return to New York City with my mom. A few years later. A few years later. Did your siblings come then or not yet either? While she was, well, while I was with my aunt and uncle going back and forth, so to speak, she was just setting up her sights to be in New York. So she came to New York to study nursing, actually, while I was in Panama with my aunt. She was head nurse of OBGYN at New York Hospital. I just, you know, remember thinking about that, you know, when I was younger and... um, I'm thinking how 
what an awesome job. Right. And that I bet be you too. cross paths with people in New York City all the time that your mother probably helped mm-hmm. birth and you don't even know it. It's funny. She also d- donated her eyes when she died. So that's a beautiful thing. So I wonder, because you said, who who did she birth? Who's walking around with her eyes? Anthony Rapp's mom was a nurse, too. Yeah. We were just talking about yeah, that when that he was common. here. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. What part of New York was your hood? When I first came to this New York, my father, soon to my stepfather, okay. soon, soon to become stepfather at the time, was an old Jew living, well, he was a young Jew, actually, living in Hell's Kitchen. And then we moved to the village. So... Are you completely bilingual? I'd like to think so. Um, se me traba la lengua, sí. as it were, uh-huh. which means that my tongue gets twisted. Sometimes. Absolutamente. <laughs> a veces. Um, a veces tú. Just at, like the the lack of usage, practice. Usage, yeah, the muscle memory sometimes comes and goes. If I go to Panama or one of my other homelands, like DR or PR, it comes back. Yeah, it'll come back. In your dreams, are you dreaming in English? I think I dream in images with only sounds that wake me up. And they can be, they're mostly in English, but they can be just primordial sounds. <laughs> can you do can I you dream do in Sanskrit. <laughs> I dream in like these kind of tones. I like it. I don't know. All right, so let's talk about your journey to becoming an artist and a performer. Okay. You have the most singular, beautiful voice. I have listened to it in so many different ways, from your solo albums to the Rent soundtrack to Rocky Horror. I mean, you've had a huge career in terms of all the different kinds of things that you've recorded and sung. Thank you. I grew up with a girlfriend whose mother was a lounge singer, and she used to say to me whenever we'd like, she'd sing, and I would just chime in. She'd go, Taff, shut up. And for a while, with words of encouragement like that, (laughs) the mom said that or the friend? The friend. She would just go, Taff, shut up. And like, then I'd stop singing for a while because she was the singer. Of course, she's like the visual artist now, right? right? And I'm the singer. Everyone found their way. Everybody found their way. But like, I know that, like, I'm so glad you didn't listen to her. Well, I did for a little while until like another friend said to me, like, you know, bitch, sing, you know? And he, God bless him, Mark Steve. He's out there in the planet, and if you're listening to this, I want to thank you because he was the one that was saying, girl, you have a voice. And I listened to him because he was my skating buddy, and his sister was a famous singer whose voice I wanted to have. Shaka Khan. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, yes. Wait, Shaka Khan literally was his sister. Was literally his sister. So if he told me— Shaka Khan's brother says, girl, you can sing— you go, I can sing. Exactly. So I was validated. You know, I found my validation. So whoever's listening, it's like, make it up, whatever. Find your validation because it's there. You know, it might not come in the way you want it to. And it hardly ever does. You know, like that be the change you want to be was like something that people said when I was growing up. But right. now it's something that people are. Yeah. And that makes me... Very, very happy. I mean, not only are you a performer, but you devote a lot of time to organizations that actually do that in a more takes one to know one. So, as a kid, were there school plays? Was there church? Different performers found an audience in different places. Some went to Washington Square Park. Where was your actually Washington Square Park? Um, (laughs) We did other things. You know, I uh, I regret to say that I did not have the discipline that. The grown-up me has required. 
But at a very young age, you were performing. How did Pajama Game happen? Pajama Party. Pajama Party. Sorry. How did I get into Pajama Party? I mean, you guys toured with Menudo. Oh, my God, yes. New kids. I mean, you guys were huge. Okay. I was a wayward teen. And I was... For reals. For reals. Okay, so what happened? My friend, who was Shaka Khan's brother, Mm. uh, invited me to a session that David Bowie was recording with his with Shaka and Sissy Houston and Luther Vandross and all these amazing beasts of the music industry. That's quite a heady list. Yeah, no, it was a very, very it was rarefied air of music and he said, put your coat on, come over. And I did. It was Atlantic Studios in Midtown by Columbus Circle. Completely unrecognizable now. I went up there and I begged the producer Arif Martin to to sing, to let me sing, just like in the background, and he did. And so I put my name was put on the credits, and that allowed me to put that on my credits. And then a woman by the name of Peggy Sanders, who was the producer of Pajama Party, saw the resume and just said, "Hey, let's get her." That was kind of a made-up resume. And then Although, I had to learn yes, to sing was yes. my punchline. So you joined this girl band yes. that she basically kind of like old school creates. Like the songs already exist and then she right. casts the people. What do we call them? Like, yeah, repository for warm bodies. Right. We went through many and that's how I met. Maria Lisa. Right. Who's my sister-in-law. Who's your sister-in-law who happens to be a co-parent with me in the fourth grade school, which is very exciting. We had one, like, top Yonose. one hand. Yonose was, that was a biggie for us, and it really did pay the rent. Yeah, we did that for a while until, you know, that train just stopped. So how do you then find yourself in a room singing Roxanne in front of Michael Greif and Jonathan Larson for rent? That's not that many years later, is it? No, because Pajama Party was sort of like an early 90s band. And then mid-90s rent happened. Right. I was working, okay, so Pajama Party, I made some music. I wrote some songs on my own and had them produced. They were like club records with Peter Dow and Danny Teneglia. Under just your name? Did you have Daphne. Under Daphne. Yeah, I had some like underground songs. And I was working at Patricia Field, which no longer exists, which was, you know, the the hot clothes club on 8th Street. That makes sense. So my purple beeper went off. Um, Did you really have a purple beeper? For a minute, Did you have an agent yet? I did. I had an agent. Why did I have an agent? Because I was starting to pound the pavement a little bit and audition for things I was wildly um, inappropriate. I think... The first time I did that, I was nine years old, and I went in for The Princess and the Pea, and she laughed at me because it was children's theater. So I thought that as a child, I was, but it was theater for children, not... (laughs) You're like, I'm sorry, it says right here, children's theater. I'm a child. I've gotten myself here. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, 10 years. At a young age, you were like hustling and figuring it out. And she said, you know what? She said, wait a Not even 10. And I remember thinking that was a lifetime. Anyway. So, yeah, actually, I was in after Pajama uh, pajama Party, after Pat Field. I was working in El Barrio USA, which was a comedy club. Um, It was a comedy troupe, and we used to do Carolines and the Village Gate. And it was during the House of Bugging, Living Color times. We were like a Latino comedy troupe. And that's when... 
it was like I always say comedy was no joke. Like they would cut each other, like if they stole each other's jokes. Okay. <laughs> Different kind of comedy. Stole my shit, man. I'm gonna cut a nigga. <laughs> you were like, okay, you're doing your little fly girl dancing, like what? Okay. Ding 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 Bang bang. Moving and on. And then the beeper. The purple that, beeper. The purple beeper. And I answered it and, and the agent said, there's a rock opera and they want a Mimi. And she's a stripper with AIDS. And, you know. You Could know be fun. Most. Yeah. It's interesting. And are you available? They, they'd they like to see you. So I thought, wow, this is unlike anything. Like, I know how to perform and I know how to sing notes and and rock and roll, even though I wasn't in a rock band. It was like, you know, my mother's milk. So Yes, and your voice clearly was so well-suited for yeah. rock singing. Yeah, it was what I grew up on. So Was that like a long audition process? I had a lot of callbacks. They wanted to make sure, of course. Because, you know, yeah, when you like, like me, you better be sure. <laughs> you better right. be sure you got the right thing. We're going to need it eight times yeah. a week. Like, but that cast, in in many ways, a lot of the people who came into the original cast, like you, had instinct and raw talent, but not a lot of experience. performance experience. And then you had Anthony, who'd been doing plays since he's in the womb, basically. Right. I was saying to Dominic, my husband, that I remember... How is that beautiful man? He's beautiful. And we all have to get together very soon. Yes. But I remembered I was one of the people who saw Rent and thought, I've never seen anything like this before. So happy to be alive right now, Mm -hmm. where this kind of show is happening. And shortly thereafter, I'm doing Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, with Anthony Rapp, who had played Mark Cohen, and suddenly he was Charlie Brown. And all of his friends, that cast, would come at different times to see the show. I, I was one of them. You were one of them. And... It was so heady for me. I didn't come from a musical theater background. That was the only musical I had done. And it was to Michael Mayer's credit that he thought, this is a comedic role. I've seen Alana do things that are very right for Lucy Van Pelt. And Anthony and Kristen Chenoweth and all these people basically took me through it like loving tutors. But all of this is to say that is each one of you came to the show. It was one of the most insane experiences to be such a fan of something and then to become a colleague. It was one of the most incredible moments in my life. How do you process being a part of the history of Rent and its universal, now timeless impact? I mean, what is that like? It's hard to... How I impacted the world is... Is not something that is um, very healthy for me to meditate on, actually. Although I have to say, yeah, no, all I can do is say, oh, thank you, thank you. I know it's true and I'm grateful. But do I know what that's like? It's like it can sometimes be painful and crazy making because it fucks with your ego. But watching the Hamilton experience Mm -hmm. has been very interesting to see the rarefied air that occurs and how how really special it is. And now I can say, oh, that's what it was. Because I see it happening. Now I know what that is because I'm on the outside. But when you're inside, it feels like being inside of a vortex that you better not leave. How long did you stay with the show? 18 months. And then I left because 
I had an album deal and I had a film to do. So the plan was to shoot the film Wild Things and then devote the next 18 months to writing an album and traveling and, and doing that, which I did. And then it's like the end of the 18 months, the record company, which at the time was Mercury, got... Died. Uh, died, basically. Just <laughs> died, defunct. As is often the case. Yeah, and it was a complete restructuring. So that was like that must have been devastating. Yeah, that was like, you know, I'm a mother and I, I'll put myself in front of any bullet for my child. But I can't lie, that was like the most tremendous miscarriage. So fortunately for me, or so I thought Napster happened at the same time. So I, I was like, steal the but you've gone on to produce other albums that have come out with Shikaboom. Yes. And and so you've had the proper birth process also. Yeah, no, I've had I've had the experience of like, okay, this is how if I want to do it, I will do it. So I had that experience. It's like, okay. So Daphne is one of the founding members yeah. of this incredible New York theater company called Labyrinth that was really devoted in its mission statement to creating a more diverse, a, a diverse theater company. Yeah, we call it the lab because it for Latino actors base, it was the Intar lab, but Intar was already taken and so Labyrinth just embraced Latino actor base sub- subtly because it no longer was a Latino actor base. It was completely diverse. But really it was born out of the fact that like we you can study Chekhov and Shakespeare but you right. can't do it. So yeah, we then, then we sort of switched over to to new works. Not switched over, but um, grew, expanded grew, to expanded include writers and directors and artists. So, you knew Philip Seymour Hoffman because he was part of the Lab Theater Company, and I know that you guys worked together there. And then, you guys did the film Flawless together with um, Sir Robert De Niro. Do you have any? I don't know. Do you have any De Niro stories or? memories of working on that set with him? Oh, gosh. So many silly stories. (laughs) (laughs) There aren't a lot of silly De Niro stories out there. I'm sure people would be thrilled to get to hear. All right. One silly De Niro story. I was having, it was lunchtime, and he walked up to me, you know, craft services or something, and said, like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I mean, I was nervous as hell and just, like, trying to bring my A game, like, every moment. I'm good. I'm good, you know. He's like, yeah. Did you eat lunch? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you ate lunch? I'm like, yeah. He goes, what'd you eat? Like, uh, I had a salad. He goes, you had salad? I'm like, yeah. It's like, what else? Broccoli with hummus? You had hummus. You had hummus with broccoli. You know that has garlic in it. Oh, no. And then I said, what did you have? He goes, I didn't eat. I saved myself for you. And so I went into the trailer. I brushed my teeth 10 times. I called my manager. I was like, what do I do? What do I do? He goes, eat a chocolate bar and brush your teeth again. (laughs) It was just the most ridiculous thing. And then at some point, I think he was just messing with me. Right, of course. Of course he was. But uh, He'd eaten an onion right before you shot the scene. I think he walked into the set the following day smoking a cigar. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. I feel like your presentation of self, you have this confidence that radiates from you, this aura of confidence and strength and power. And I wonder... Aside from your incredible natural beauty, which is slightly overwhelming to be in the presence of, but 
That is what it is. You. It's part of my job. Oh my god, I love. Where, I feel the same way about you. Thank you. For young girls, yes, who may be listening and starting out, and kind of looking to hear from you something that they can hold on to for themselves. Mm. Are there things people said to you when you were young that were positive? That stayed with you. How I perceive myself, I just, you know, as a female Latina who was identified in a very white culture with, you know, a West Indian black Latina for a mother who wasn't there in a world that mostly didn't look like me. For me, it was embodying the challenge of authority. And I think that that served me, and it also, like, really set me back. Meaning being able to find your voice and challenge authority or to become the authority? To just challenge and not not replace authority, but just to always be sort of a dissenter, which I find that I'm not always that way. I always wanted to... To just recalibrate an, mm-hmm. I, an enemy of absolutes, do you know? And so the enemy of absolutes as a child would rebel. And, you know, just a good, I can't hate on that, but, you know, there were so many things that I could have learned. And when you think about yourself at that time, like, where were you operating from? Where did your power come from? How did you see yourself? How much sexuality... I like how much power I I invested in sexuality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's all I knew, um, but it's all I thought I knew. I really didn't know if I had any purpose in the planet. Beyond that? Well, you know, that's a really big thing to say. But no. I mean, I think that like, I don't know. I mean, that's... So when you're yeah. up there, right, at that age... Playing a completely highly sexualized character. Yeah. And you're running around the Niederlander theater in the Mimi outfit and hanging over the railing and moving the audience to its feet and cheering. Was that empowering? That was totally empowering. Totally empowering. And I felt like, you know, this is the best kind of like, you know, acting out because it's There was a a form of service behind it, you know. I mean, I really felt like I was delivering a wonderful message. I mean, you know, when you do a show like that, you really get it, that you are are making the world a better place, you know what I mean? You were. You are serving, yeah. I was just talking to this wonderful doctor, Neil Spector, I don't know if you, anyway, he, he saves lives. And he was talking about being a fan, and I thought, you know, I feel like I've saved lives, too. You know, that's the good thing. I haven't killed anybody, thank God. But, but... that was the power of that show. But it's the power of art. There was so much rolled up into that. It's really impossible to distill out all of the different, the tragedy of Jonathan working his entire life toward getting his music out there, his passing the night before. Yeah. Ta- I mean, this was like an organic coming together of 15 or more performers who it was just magic. And you had many opportunities to move people and make them think and change them. And I just want to say, I'm grateful. And you're continuing to make so much art with your music and your performances. Well, you know, the story of my life is um, I'm actually going to Dartmouth to work on 
my tome, the frequently unanswered questions, otherwise known as the fucks. The fucks. Frequently unanswered questions. Okay. And that's kind of, um, what do I call it? Autobiographical and is laugh this a- riot about death with songs. So just from your life. Yeah. It's a story, you know, these stories put together that make up my life and what I think is important about it or the things that have helped really shape me and who I am. Well, that's thrilling. I hope after that piece is formed, you'll come back and talk to me about it then. I want to thank you so much for being here, Daphne. It's great to see you. I can't wait to do it again. everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. Thanks for listening.